2: Welcome to First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm joined, as always, by Billy Muzio. Although Billy missed last week, but we've live-drafted on First Class Fantasy. You have seen us. And we're joined today by two friends of ours in Dave Kluge and Alfredo Brown of Football Guys. And they are putting out multiple podcasts a week, uh, really, really putting out some high-quality content. So welcome, guys. Maybe, uh, Dave, take us away. Let us know what you guys are doing. Uh, and the content you guys have coming out this season.
3: Well, first of all, thanks for having us on, and thanks for joining us earlier in the week. Any chance we get uh, to you know link up with you guys twice in a single week is a very special occasion. So excited to be here on First Class Fantasy. But you know, I was doing my show, the Launchpad, and Alfredo was doing his show, the Pretend GM, and they were kind of similar shows. And we noticed that when we did our shows together, they were just you know a ton of fun, a lot of energy, some some really good content. So we combined and merged the two into the Football Guys Fantasy Football Show, and. Alfredo, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're going to be doing six episodes a week, right? We're doing five episodes during the week. One is going to be audio only. And then we've also got our live start sit show that's going to be on Sunday morning. So we're taking Saturdays off, you know, or we might be divorced by the end of the season. But you can find us Monday through Friday and Sunday mornings.
2: Love it. And Alfredo, maybe you'll get us started off with this one. We had another development it's Billy it's like the 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 days of our lives with the Miami Dolphins running back room we had you know they're going to sign somebody they don't they don't sign anybody they draft Devon a. Chain. Devon a. Chain gets hurt we're going to trade for Jonathan Taylor the trade doesn't go through so everybody kind of digs their heels in we have a lot of memes going around everybody's all hyped about having Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert best ball shares and now Jeff Wilson goes on IR Alfredo and the the words they're using are he might be back this season what
0: yeah so weird right like to hear the head coach so first of all they go and they put him on the four-week IR like you said and it's like I expect him to be back this season well yeah dude you put him on a four-week IR of course so it it was just kind of weird to hear that and I'm gonna give you the worst cop-out answer and I'm sorry for this because I'm kind of I'm like this with Dolphins almost every year until all of a sudden Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell were productive I don't know that I really want any of the Dolphins running backs. Like, I might stash a few of them here and there. I think Devon A-Chain is probably that answer, like, as the season goes on. But it's just, at what point are you comfortable finally starting him, right? He'll probably have one of those good games. You okay, great, let's start Devon A-Chain. And then he gives you kind of uh, one of those, like, down games. And you're not really going to know. So it's, it's a cop-out answer, but the Dolphins running backs, it's it's one of those better-in-best-ball-type backfields.
3: Dave, where are you at on this? Yeah, I'm gonna parrot a lot of what Alfredo just said. I don't think you're ever really gonna feel confident starting any of these guys. I mean, I know Raheem Moster right now is the guy everybody's getting excited about, and yeah, I'll throw some darts in best ball. But what we saw last year is that they drafted, or I'm sorry, they 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 signed Chase Edmonds to be the guy who is just an epic bust. I mean, absolutely terrible, and good on yeah. them for realizing after about two weeks that they needed to pivot. But then after about three weeks with Raheem Mostert as the starter. Then they went out and traded for Jeff Wilson Jr. So I don't think they trust Raheem Mostert in a true workhorse role. You know, he's going to be an 8-12 to 12 touch guy every single week. And, you know, luckily he's got the speed where he can rip off one of those 8-12 to touches for a huge touchdown any given week. But if he doesn't score, he's going to be giving you, you know, 30 scoreless yards. And that's pretty tough to stomach in a managed league. So I'm kind of with Alfredo here. I think they're going to end up adding to the backfield, whether it's Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, or maybe they call up an old friend in Tevin Coleman and, and bring somebody else in there. But I don't think we're looking at the final backfield right now and as it stands I mean I guess a probably has the most upside just because of the speed and the youth and all of that but I think it's going to be a pretty frustrating committee here and outside of best ball I don't really want any of these guys Billy is Mike McDaniel like one of these evil geniuses who just thinks he
2: can get by with any running back in the world um, or will we see we see them bring somebody not Darrington Evans but maybe somebody else in yeah, I, I think I agree with with everyone's
1: comments here. They'll probably bring somebody in. They're going to need somebody to be able to shoulder more workload, someone a little bit more reliable between the tackles that's going to be able to take on a beating, whether that's Fournette or Hunt. Somebody will probably eventually sign here. Uh, if I'm in best ball, though, I'm taking stabs on Devon A-chain. Just got to go with the the rookie, the the unknown upside, the speed, um, the ability to just separate himself from, from defenders. And so um, – that's probably the only one I'm going to take stabs on. I don't want anything to do with redraft as, as Dave said. Um, and I was told pre-podcast, I cannot pick Alec Ingold, So I will not pick. You're not not allowed to the pot, (laughs) the pot ends.
2: We go off the air. If we, if we stand for Alec Ingold. and I'll say, guys, I'm, I'm a little more excited about Devon a chain than you guys are. I think the lack of moves that they've shown, um, you know, the Darrington Evans signing today, instead of being like a Leonard Fournette tells me that they think Devon a chain is close to being healthy And they think that he's going to be able to handle maybe a little bit more work than we think. And I think that his touches might not be, he's never going to see like a high volume, but I think they could be like high value touches. A lot of, you know, chances for receptions out of the backfield, getting me out in space. Uh, And he's a pretty good inside runner. So I know he's small, but I'll be the Devon A-chain stand here in the Roto Underworld. And there's one other question that we've been asking every single guest here on first class fantasy. And I've asked everybody on my show, press coverage as well. Um, You know, you guys take a lot of time, you know, with your show preparation, and I know you got at at Football Guys, you guys care a lot about your rankings and your process. When you go through everyone in fantasy football, who is that one player that if you could know their final stats for the season, who would it be? Is it a guy that maybe negatively or positively unlocks one of his teammates? Could it
3: be a guy with a wide, wide range of outcomes? We'll start with you on this one, Dave. So for me, it's Kyler Murray pretty easily. Uh, We don't know if this guy's going to come back, you know, as soon as he's activated from IR in week five, or if he's going to miss the entire season. Then also the ramifications that Kyler Murray is going to have on the rest of the offense, you know, what he is going to do for Marquise Brown, if he can elevate him. And, you know, I, I, I think that's the guy that I have, one, invested a lot into, especially in my early season best ball uh, drafts. You know, I, I was hoping that he'd come back sooner rather than later. It's looking bleaker and bleaker by the day. So, one, I want to know how many games Kyler Murray's playing. Two, I want to know if he's going to have any rushing and mobility when he does come back. And three, I want to know how he's going to be able to pass the ball and if he's going to be able to elevate Marquise Brown to this top five wide receiver we saw last year early in the season with a healthy Kyler Murray and no DeAndre Hopkins. So that's one guy for me that I would really, really like a little bit more clarity on.
2: I love it. You're actually the first person who said that one, but I do think that like, especially for best ball, he could be incredibly impactful to end the season. It's a tilting year for Kyler Murray managers in dynasty because they could potentially hold the number one overall pick as well. So I think there's a little bit of pressure on him to get back on the field Alfredo, where are you at on this question? Because I thought you actually, you shared your answer with me and I thought it was very interesting.
0: Yeah, so the guy, and I, Dave, man, I'm kind of jealous. That was a good one, Kyler Murray. But uh, <laughs> the guy, it's another quarterback that I have that there's so much uncertainty around. It's Desmond Ritter. And it's because he's the distributor for everyone's favorite skill players, whether it's Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts, Drake London. Everyone kind of expects every single one of these players to have a good year or at least wants them to. And I think that's the thing is that Desmond Ritter is going to end up being the straw that stirs this drink here in Atlanta and um as much as we want to hate on Arthur Smith for maybe not being fun for fantasy he's actually been a pretty decent coach and so we want to know like can De- is Desmond Ritter going to pass the ball maybe a few more times than last year how efficient is he going to be when passing uh who is he going to be targeting stuff like that it's it's going to matter um and it not so much I don't think anyone's drafting Desmond Ritter to be their quarterback in single quarterback leagues but they want to know who he's getting that ball to and if he's going to be healthy uh throughout this season. Because as much as I think Taylor Heineke has been good in the past and he's been like just he's been adequate enough. If Desmond Ritter is better than good, then all of a sudden we're talking about big
2: breakouts for all these skill players. I love it. And Billy, you're you are the resident uh ranking expert and projections expert here in the roto underworld. And are we gonna see a 2021 like Matt Ryan pass attempts, or are we going to see a Stone Age 2022 like Marcus Mariota uh, pass attempts when we're looking at Ritter? Because I think Alfredo's spot on. If we can just get over 500, like we saw with Matt Ryan, then I love Drake London here. But if you tell me it's going to be, you know, 1970s football, then I'm getting a little <laughs> apprehensive. And I have bags and bags of Drake London right now in redraft guys. Billy, where are we at?
1: I mean, it's Arthur Smith, so I don't know how much further past the Stone Age we can get, but it's not looking good in terms of projections and overall pass volume for the offense, just because we, if we extrapolate the data from what we saw from Ritter last year, it's roughly 28 and a half pass attempts per game, which would put us underneath that 500 attempts. I do have the efficiency getting them uh, slightly higher at 502. So not, not much to really get that excited about Uh, bottom three in the league. uh, And so that being said, I do think we have a pretty consolidated target tree. They didn't keep a lot of receivers in the roster. It's pretty clear Drake London is probably going to be a 27 to 28.5% target share kind of guy. Um Cal Pitts probably gets his 20%. I think Mac Holland is a little sneaky in terms of target share as well. And then Bijan, of course, will get his. I, again, I don't project Bijan to get, you know, 80 plus targets like some people are projecting, but I do think he's in that 50 to 60 range.
3: I love it, Billy. Uh, I just real, real quickly. I just pulled it up because I wanted to see, I mean, Ryan Tannehill in the two years that he was with Arthur Smith was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league and his per 17 game average over those two seasons was 466 pass attempts. And that was Ryan Tannehill, who we expect to be a much better quarterback than Desmond Ritter probably has at this point. So that is absolutely concerning that even when Arthur Smith had a really good quarterback, they were still limiting him to 466 attempts a year.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not looking good for the numbers and for history. I think the only thing that I have kind of maybe increased the attempts for based upon the logical sense is that the offense is going to move the chains a bit more than what we saw inside of Tennessee and um, convert more third downs, which would give him a few more attempts throughout the season. And so that's why I have him slightly above 500, but it's it's not much more. But it's it's not looking good either way. You slice it or dice it. Whether best or worst case scenario, it's still bottom of the league.
2: Well, I stopped listening when Billy said very consolidated and 27 to 28% for Drake London. <laughs> that confirmed my prior. So I, I, I when we get back, we're going to talk about some offenses that we think are going to break out this year. And then we're going to drop our flag plants, guys. We're going to tell you the quarterbacks, the running backs, the tight ends, and the wide receivers that we love at ADP that can help you smash your drafts if you're doing late drafts this weekend. Let's
4: take a moment to talk about Underdog Fantasy. Now, many of you have already signed up. Thousands have signed up from Player Profiler already over the years. Underdog has supported us since 2020. Much of what you see on Player Profiler is because of Underdog, because of their support. Get the Underdog app. Plug in that promo code UNDERWORLD. I used to play underdog just for the best ball drafts. I mean, the best ball drafts are amazing. These draft rooms fill so quickly. And you can win life-changing money. You want to take advantage of all the sleepers we talk about on this show? Well, what better place than in an underdog draft room to do that? And I recommend taking your underdog play to the next level by diving into their NFL pickums. It's important to correlate those NFL pickums. You can pick both the quarterbacks and the wide receivers to exceed expectations. Correlate them, and you can five extra payout. But a bing, but a boom. Underdog fantasy. The promo code is underworld for an instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Underdog is the truest friend of the underworld.
2: Welcome back to first class fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger. Always with Billy Muzio, and we're joined by Alfredo Brown and Dave Kluge, guys. A lot of times we sit here talking about players, when if we can take a step back and identify that those mispriced offenses, you'll end up seeing multiple players on that very team all smash their ADPs. Last year, we saw this with Seattle. No one wanted to draft Seahawks, and a bunch of them smashed their ADPs. Last year, we saw this with Jacksonville Jaguars. We saw this with a few Cleveland Browns last year. Anybody remember Amari Cooper's ADP? And then we really saw it with the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts was the league-winning quarterback. A.J. Brown crushed his ADP. And Devonta Smith was probably the best-priced wide receiver in all of fantasy. Being drafted as a high-end wide receiver four, finishes as an easy wide receiver one. Alfredo, give us an offense that people might be sleeping on or just an offense you think could really smash this year. So I, this was a process for me. It took me a little while to get here to this
0: point, but I'm starting to lean towards the Pittsburgh Steelers being a little bit better than people think Mm -hmm. Uh, I Billy, Thank you. I love it. Um, you know, I think that Kenny Pickett does take that step forward and we usually see, right. These second years tend to be kind of make or break. And if he's not good, then the Steelers are going to have to make some sort of adjustments, but I don't want to read too much into preseason stuff, but Kenny Pickett and that Steelers offense did look good throughout the preseason. Every time he was on the field and ran a drive, it ended up in a touchdown, and things looked different. They weren't doing that weird Matt Canada, let's roll out to one side. We've got only one receiver actually running around and let's just toss it up and do high school football. He was actually sitting in the pocket making reads and tossing the ball downfield, which was very different than what we saw last year for his average depth of target for Kenny Pickett. So um, I like that he's pushing the ball downfield. I like that the offense looks a little bit more evolved. He looks a little more confident confident. confident I think that Deontay Johnson is one of those guys that's still way underpriced no matter how many times we all scream it from the mountaintops uh there's going to be some have we decided Billy is it positive regression is it regression to the mean is it just (laughs) what, what progression what are we calling it now
1: progression please (laughs)
0: okay okay for the for the for the the sake of billy we're gonna call it progression uh but we should see some some progression with deontay johnson back towards actually catching touchdowns and kenny pickett throwing touchdowns and and the guy that kind of gets lost in all this i think so often is pat Fryermuth, who has so many of those underlying metrics that show a guy that could really break out like i'm not I'm not taking too many risks on him, but he's one of those guys that we could be talking about him next year as being one of those top four uh, tight ends in that same grouping as Dallas Goddard and t j hawkinson yeah ninety plus targets
2: amen I love shit. it love it. I love the new sound effect I knew love the new sound effect as well Billy Ni- ninety plus targets last year for Pat Fryermuth as a second year player that's like a semi-elite uh, target total for a tight end that's that age. Um, and we saw, you know, the, back in the day, they just had scored more touchdowns. Fryermuth had seven touchdown receptions as a rookie drops to two last year. So a lot of us, a lot of people are looking at Deontay Johnson, who I think is a value as well, but it could be Fryermuth. I love that call Alfredo um, Pittsburgh's a great answer because Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth, you could see them all beating their ADP and one of the two running backs pick a horse, one of them is going to really crush their ADP. Where are you at, Dave? Give us an offense
3: that you are into, and is it the Chicago Bears? <laughs> um, I might talk about the Chicago Bears a little bit later in the episode when we're talking about some players that we really like. Um, I, I actually have two here, and I was waffling between the two, so I'll just talk briefly about both of them. The one is the, the, the team that I think nobody is talking about last year, but it really fits the mold for what we saw with the Seattle Seahawks last year. You know, everybody – wanted nothing to do with the Seattle Seahawks offense. And really, I think that good receivers can elevate the offense much more than we, you know, we we put the onus on the quarterback to do all the work, but we have seen good wide receivers elevate offenses before. So people are just completely discounting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and maybe they should be because Baker Mayfield historically has never really supported fantasy-relevant wide receivers but we saw Mike Evans and Chris Godwin get a 30 for 35,000 yard season out of Jameis Winston. And if they can do that with Jameis Winston, they might be able to do it with Baker Mayfield. So I'm not you know, completely planting a flag here and saying go out and draft your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I think that this is an offense that a lot of people might be a little bit too judgmental on because they do have two extremely talented wide receivers there that could potentially elevate Baker Mayfield. The other team that I want to talk about, though, Is the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, the Baltimore Ravens, they've made sound investments this year. Uh, You know, it starts with J.K. Dobbins, who's now two years removed from his knee injury. And I think he's kind of the engine that's going to power this offense. But on top of that, we've never really seen premier pass catchers playing with. Lamar Jackson. Now, obviously, you can say what you want about the $15 million that they gave Odell. I think it was a terrible investment, but they did that, showing that they want to start stretching the field vertically again. They went out and drafted Zay Flowers in the first round. That's what he's going to do as well. They've got Rashad Bateman coming back. And of course, the bow that puts, you know, the bow that you could put on this entire gift right here is Todd Munkin. For the last few years, we've seen a very horizontal passing attack where it's been tight ends and running backs getting out in the flats kind of as an extension of the run game pounding the ball between the tackles todd munkin does the complete opposite he wants versatile receivers who can get deep and that's what all three of these guys that i mentioned bateman flowers and beckham can do so we've seen it in small doses where lamar jackson could pass the ball very efficiently i think we see him really uncork it this year and throw the ball a lot more and of course they've still got mark andrews too who's going to do what he does they have so many solid pass catching weapons on this offense and I think Todd Munkin just completely unlocks Lamar Jackson. Billy, uh, let us know what you think because we
2: haven't heard anybody talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with this answer. Could this be a, another, like, very consolidated offense? Like, Godwin seems like a value right now, and we've been drafting Rashad White. Maybe talk about what you see from these Tampa Bay Bucks.
1: Yeah, I've actually been higher on most of the bucks than than consensus. I've been saying that if we can get like 80% of Baker Mayfield what we saw in LA, then all these guys are being underdrafted. Uh everyone is, you know, looking back to his time at the Browns, but everybody sucks with the Browns, so it's it's kind of <laughs> one of those things that you kind of just got to overlook and just ignore for not maybe all of it, but at least part of it. Plus we have um, you know, solid weapons like Dave said, so I like the consolidated tree, you know, Russell Gage getting injured uh, definitely consolidated some of those that that the targets for the offense um and and they have the weapons in order to succeed so i think i like the weapons there more than most but um uh, it's it still has you know some questions the offense that i'm just absolutely high on i'm going to go chalk here is the chargers i love that Kel Moore is now the offensive coordinator over here we all love justin herbert in this offense i think that when you look at the coaching staff prior to Moore arriving it's probably been one of the most Fortunate positions to be in as a coach because he's he's not the best coach, um, but he's has just the supporting staff and now you insert Kellen Moore to the equation, and he has shown that he's been able to take offenses to the next level, when you look at what he did in Dallas inside the four seasons that he was there. He ranked number two in the NFL in total offense, which at 391 net yards per game, number two in scoring at 27.7 points per game. And then Dallas also was the NFL's fourth best passing offense at 264.4 net yards per game. He ranked number seven in the league in rushing offense at 126.6 per game. And then of course he helped them go to 12 different, or he helped get 12 different pro bowl appearances from his players and they saw three playoff appearances. So very excited for Kellen Moore to be the offensive coordinator with this offense, with Herbert as a quarterback, who's gonna sling the ball, he was already you know top two in the league last year, only behind Tom Brady in pass attempts. This year, he's you know the clear cut number one inside of my projections for the most pass attempts by quarterbacks. Um, absolutely love this offense. So, gonna stay with the chalk here with the Chargers.
2: I love some of the answers here, guys. Uh, Chargers, Baltimore Ravens. I love the Pittsburgh answer. I think we should also keep an eye on the New York Giants. I think that Brian Dable, year two there, he's added a lot of weapons. I think that there's been a lot of people uh, kind of making fun of the wide receivers all kind of being the, exactly the same. A lot of slot guys, but I think they have a lot of guys who can make first downs, make the offense way more efficient. Saquon Barkley is set for a massive season. Darren Waller set for a massive season. And I like Daniel Jones as well. I think we could see that offense put up some big numbers in Dable, year two. Guys, bonus question. Dave brought up the Baltimore Ravens. Right now, we see Zay Flowers going off the board, wide receiver 39 on underdog, Rashad Bateman, wide receiver 47, and Odell Beckham, wide receiver 51. Your favorite player to draft at ADP, starting with Alfredo.
0: Everything in me wants to save Rashad Bateman because I just keep wishing and hoping that he's going to be healthy and he's going to play because he fits that mold and I love the ADP. Plus, I can do a lot of Batman-themed names with his last name, Bateman but I'm still sticking with, Zay Flowers. I mean, this is the guy that just seems like he's going to be put in a position to succeed this year in this offense. And he's he's. I don't want to go too far when I say this, but he's one of those guys that when he has the ball in his hands, he's one of the few players in the league that kind of reminds me of Tyreek Hill in the way that he moves once he has that ball in his hands. So uh, it's, it's a guy that I think that if this offense becomes dangerous and he is a dangerous weapon, uh, it, it could be really, really good for
2: fantasy. Billy forgot to use the applause on that one. Dave, who is your answer here? Yeah,
3: it's flowers for me pretty easily, too. Um, And, you know, I'll just quote Matt Kelly, you know, we're on a player profiler show here, but injuries beget more injuries. And like Rashad Bateman, what he's going into year three of his career now and hasn't been able to stay healthy whatsoever. He's already getting nicked up in training camp this year. So I like the talent. I understand the appeal of Rashad Bateman, but, you know, just burning me year after year after year. I'm ready to move off of him and get the shiny new toy and Rashad or er, and, and Zay Flowers.
2: I love Zay Flowers as well. I've been drafting him a lot in redrafts lately, especially on wide receiver heavy builds where he looks like the hammer. Um, and I agree with you guys. Like I think Flowers can really, really play. Uh, this is a guy that Baltimore says was the, their number one receiver in this class based on where they took him in the draft, based on where the other wide receivers went. We have no reason to not believe them. I think they have big plans for him And I think it's fitting that Lamar got the bag the exact same day he got Zay Flowers, because I think this is going to really help Lamar Jackson have a smash season and help Todd Munkin look great uh, in year one. Billy, where you at? Which Raven do you want? I think the
1: obvious answer here, Theo, is Isaiah Likely, because he's probably going to be one of the top targets in the offense, even with these three receivers. He was heavily utilized last year as a rookie. He has the chemistry with Lamar, the offense. He knows it. Uh, we expect them to still use 12 personnel, not to the degree that they have, but when on the field he was a target rate of 24.7%, target share of 14.2 in his in his uh you know, rookie campaign. I think he's still gonna be heavily involved. And I've actually been fading most of the Baltimore receivers and just targeting the tight ends inside
2: drafts. I like likely as well. Um, but that's sort of a cop out, Billy. (laughs) Tight end eligible. (laughs) You want to go Alec Engold? You want to go Isaiah likely? We need the season to start, guys. <laughs> We're talking we about the gross, gross stuff
3: right now, Theo. Yeah, wait till we talk about the absolutely. Saints and he tells us that he's in on Taysom Hill. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> I won't go that low. Won't go that low.
2: <laughs> so, guys, this is this is exciting. Okay. We've spent all off season trying to explain our process. We've do, we've talked in depth about every subject under the sun. We're doing multiple podcasts a week. Now is the time to plant some flags, to look into our crystal balls and let us know who your guy is this season, why they're going to smash. I want to start at the tight end position. I think it's like law and fantasy shows for flag plants and my guy shows that they always start with quarterback first. We're going to go to tight end. And Dave has a tight end that you might not have heard of
3: as his flag. Plant <laughs> so this is more of like a game theory conversation than anything else. I have just fallen for the trap of going after sleeper tight ends every single year and they very very rarely pan out I mean we we all year we like discuss who the sleeper tight end is going to be and they never hit so this year I am okay drafting Travis Kelsey at 101 if you want to and if you look over the last few years the positional advantage that he gives you compared to every other position is just unbelievable. so I pulled Tyler Higby you know last year he was the tight end six so look at Tyler Higby as like an average tight end one. Travis Kelsey outscored him by 9.1 points per game last year. That's the same difference between Cooper Cup, who was the wide receiver one, and Zay Jones, who was the wide receiver 32. I mean, you're getting a 32 person advantage at the wide receiver position basically over the average tight end that your league mates are starting so even if you want to go to the tight end too you know last year the tight end two was george kittle and that was the difference between cooper cup and the wide receiver 12 i mean the 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 advantage that you get from travis kelsey is just completely unmatched last year it would have been the wide receiver five the running back four he was outscoring guys like cd lamb and aj brown and derrick henry and nick chubb this is a position that, like, you know, if you're starting a tight end, you're hoping to get, you know, 30-something uh, yards, maybe a touchdown in there, and you're feeling good about it. You're getting a locked-in 19 to 20 points a week from Travis Kelsey. Now, if that's too boring, I could talk to you about my sleeper tight end, but I'm just saying to pay up for Travis Kelsey this year because you're not going to regret it. Travis Kelsey had the most, had the six most points of any
2: player in FFPC tight end premium scoring, Billy. He uh finished, he would have finished as, quarterback five last year if he was quarterback eligible it was an absolute cheat code I think we would all pick Travis Kelsey to be our tight end one overall but how much of an advantage does he have this year Billy that's my only my only pushback on Dave is we also like you know tight end two and tight end three maybe a little more than we have in years past so where are you at Billy on the advantage of Kelsey versus let's say the Mark Andrews Darren Waller tier
1: It's still pretty significant in PPR projections. They're separated by 90 points, Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey. Um, If you go down to what, you know, tight end number three, it just keeps getting steeper and steeper and steeper. So I'm on board with Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, robust in terms of picking tight ends and and allocating draft resources. I just, it's just very, it's very dependent on the format, right? If you're in 10 team leagues, I'm okay punting the position. If you're in 14 team leagues, it becomes uh, a different conversation. Um, Titan premium leagues, much different conversation. And so, uh, I, I, I just have a little concern with Kelsey and his age, but I said that about Tom Brady for 10 years. And so there's, you know, there's always this two-sided coin here and, or I should say two sides of the sword. And I can't think of the analogy right now, but what I'm saying is that if you fade him, it's very well likely to bite you. But if you don't fade him, um, then you know, you're using a lot of draft capital in order to acquire him, so um, it's one of those catch 22s. But I think that he's as good of a bet if anyone to finish number one position again. He's yeah, just I mean, a, if you I want to I can, I
3: can talk about Sam Laporta and why, no, give us, yeah, yeah, the reality is you're go probably dropping him after like week four or five and streaming tight end, and you're in that tight end hell that we deal with every, <laughs> every single year. So I really do like Sam Laporta, <laughs> but the chances of him hitting you got to realize are very slim to none this year. <laughs>
2: I uh, love it. I'm, I'm a big Laporta fan. I will not be cutting Sam Laporta, Dave. I'm going to give him many weeks to fail. <laughs> All right. uh, Al- Alfredo, who's your tight end?
0: So Dave and I kind of have the ongoing joke of like, how many times are you going to be the cartoon character that steps in the rake and just like keeps getting hit in the face by it? And I'm willing to do it one more time here with Darren Waller. I'm I'm starting to sip the Kool Aid a little bit, and uh, like I'm still going to be realistic in my approach, right? I'm not going to reach for him. Uh, I it, right now I believe he's been going around like round five. There's been times where I've been able to get him in round six, and like that's cool. I'm good with that, but. I think that what you're chasing, right? If you're not getting Travis Kelsey is you're chasing the tight end that's going to give you the best value and get you as close to Travis Kelsey as you can, right? And give you some sort of positional advantage. And the whole thing with the Giants and with Daniel Jones is that Daniel Jones just simply does not target the wide receiver position enough. Last season, wide receivers who played, excuse me, Giants wide receivers who played more than eight games finished a season with a target share. No, none of them finished with a target share above 17%. And this is just something that we've seen that Daniel Jones just hasn't really done a whole lot of in his career. Now, that could also go down to the fact that not a lot of the the Giants wide receivers stay healthy, not a lot of them stay consistent. But even when Evan Ingram was the tight end for the Giants, Daniel Jones was leaning on him early in the career. And this seems like everything is kind of set up for Darren Waller to be the guy that's getting... Uh, man, I think we want to say like maybe a 24, 25% target share in this offense, at at least. Um, It all depends also too on like how much Saquon is going to get, but there is real, there's, there's a real avenue here for Darren Wallow to be a top three tight end. Now, how valuable is that in comparison to a guy like Travis Kelsey? We don't know. But what I do know is that this Giants offense has coaches that have built offenses around elite tight ends. Talking about Brian Dable, who used to be a tight ends coach at the Patriots and, and Gronk and then offensive coordinator with the Bills. And then Mike Kafka, now the offensive coordinator there, spent plenty of time with Travis Kelsey. These are guys we've heard of. So they go out, they trade for Darren Waller. Everything points to a major intention to use him. I think the only thing that we just we can't analyze is, will he be healthy? Can he play a full season? And that's where the concern comes in.
2: I love it. Billy and I have talked about Darren Waller. It's it's crazy his ascent in ADP. At the beginning of the summer, we saw him leap uh leap leap Dallas Goddard, and that was like significant. And then now he's taken uh, gone ahead of Kyle Pitts. He's gone ahead of George Kittle, and now you're starting to see him being drafted ahead of TJ Hawkinson. Uh it's wild, but I think it's it's warranted. And I love I love the selection. Billy, give us your tight end. I like So I
1: really like Waller this year. I would have put him down had Alfredo not beat me to the punt Uh to it. So I pivoted and went with my second option, which is Tyler Higby. We see news out of camp that Stafford is struggling with the younger receivers, at least for the chemistry perspective. Um, We know that last year we had Higby who had a career year in targets, a career year in receptions and a, you know, near career high in receiving yards. Um, Most people will say that, oh, this was due to the fact that Cooper Cup was out. But if you go back to the beginning of the season, they were both on the field. We saw you know double-digit target games in three of the first four weeks. You know, 11 targets week one, uh, 14 targets week four. Sorry, I lied, two of the first four weeks. But still, very high usage in terms of target share um, and receptions. And, and so I really like the fact that they didn't do much to address the wide receiver position. They have a lack of weapons. Uh, Cooper Cup. Um, always has an injury concern. This offense is is going to be um, playing from behind in a lot of games. They're not expected to have the the same stout defense they have in years of the past. And so I think that we could expect them to utilize uh, Tyler Higbee early and often and potentially be the number two option in the passing game. And so anytime I'm looking to evaluate tight end Talent. I'm looking for that tight end that could be the number one in the offense or the number two in the offense to give me a good return. And I think Tyler Higbee has just as good of a chance as anyone to give you that type of return.
2: Yeah, and Billy, you've you've got a ton of of Tyler Higbee in your drafts. And I love Alfredo's answer of Darren Waller. That would have been my answer, but he's already given the bull case for him. So I'm going to talk about my guy, Dalton Kincaid. And I think Dalton Kincaid is going to have a smash rookie season. I think he's going to score more PPR points than we saw from Kyle Pitts in 2021. I think he's going to finish inside of the t- top six tight ends. I think he's got a chance to score uh, a decent amount of touchdowns. And I think he's going to get over 90 targets, kind of like what we saw with Pat Friermuth last year. So I'm very, very into Dalton Kincaid. If I don't get a Darren Waller, then I'm looking to get a Pat Friermuth or a Dalton Kincaid and combine him with a player like Tyler Higbee. But I'll give a bonus tight end target of mine. Hayden Hurst is going off the board as tight end 27 on underdog. Hayden Hurst had 70 targets last year in Cincinnati. He gets like 21 million guaranteed to come to Carolina. I think that they signed him knowing that they were going to be drafting a quarterback in the first round. They end up getting the 101. And this is the kind of guy that I think with all the kind of indecision of the target pecking order at wide receiver, I think Hayden Hurst could be the the safety blanket i think he's a very cheap source of targets in a boring offense manage your expectations this is you know a definitely guy you want to draft in best ball and in tight end premium but i think there's a chance hayden hurst finishes inside of the tight end one line uh and i think that he has like a career high in targets career high in catches career high in everything in that carolina offense this year is tyler higby billy Muzio. (laughs) You know, I was out on the Dalton Kincaid
1: train early in the season, but as the train kept pulling up and it kept leaving me behind, I kept seeing, you know, all these bells and whistles and finally decided to hop on board uh, later in the season. And I think the eye-opening piece for me was when we had, you know, Coupe fiasco on. We're talking about the difference in fantasy scoring from like tight end. I think it was, I think he mentioned like tight end eight to like tight end 15, you know, because I had him at like tight end 15. And then I realized I was just really splitting hairs here and standing ground for no good reason, other than being stubborn and not wanting to admit Theo was right. And so I, you know, finally adjusted and and kind of caved in and just small tweaks inside of the projection sheet based upon what we were seeing in camp and routes run and, and, and all the, the positive reports that we were getting. And, you know, he jumped up in the rankings, you know, maybe not quite as high as you have him feel, but still nonetheless, you know, very, very good chance at being um, a tight end one, probably inside the top 10 at the position. If they utilize him correctly, uh, we just want to see him on the field uh, for, for more snaps. I think that that's the going to be the kicker is the total snaps.
2: It's like Stockholm syndrome, guys. You podcast <laughs> with somebody long enough, they start believing in what you're saying. I broke Billy down. He's now a Dalton Kincaid believer. And shout out to our producer, Dean. Please quote graphic Billy Muzio saying, <laughs> Theo was right. <laughs> Billy Muzio. Yes,
1: but he'll never be right about JSN. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going that way. That's
2: fine. <laughs> we'll, 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 the, to, be, to be continued, Billy. Alfredo, let's start with you. Who is your flag plant wide receiver or wide receivers that you feel so confident in this season? So I got a couple
0: of them but I'll start out with the guy that I'm a, a bit stronger on and it's Chris Olave. And right now, I try not to go like too far down the narratives, you know, but all the reports that keep coming out of camp is that Chris Olave just looks awesome and that there's a lot of mixed reports on Michael Thomas as to whether he's really got his speed back, if he's still the same player and I know that when we look at the New Orleans Saints like we talk about this offense, we don't know if it's going to be very good with Derek Carr and he's been pretty average throughout his career but he has been able to at least find one pass catcher to lock on and make a target hog whether that was Darren Waller whether it was Hunter Renfro or last season it was Devonte Adams i think this year for the saints it should be and rightfully so Chris Olave because of the talent and we look at what olave was able to do last year and i can bore you with all like the metrics and the targets and stuff like that but the targets per route run uh he commands the ball, he gets open since 2014. Olave is second amongst all rookies in targets per route run. That's important, knowing that this guy can actually be available for a quarterback. And then you look at even just yards per route run, which has become a really popular metric to project success amongst young wide receivers. Since 2011, only five rookie wide receivers have gone over 2.4 yards per route run. Those guys were Odell Beckham Jr., AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Chris Olave. So, yeah. Uh, I think that once you start to marry all of these fun metrics with the film that you've been able to see, with the opportunity that is there, knowing Derek Carr's tendencies, uh, I mean, I think it's kind of safe to say that guys start to put up metrics like this and look like how he does on the field. It's easy to recognize the talent. It's not a mistake. It's not luck. It's not just, you know, happenstance. Like it happens for a reason. Uh, if he does not continue to improve in the fantasy space, I think he ends up being an
2: outlier after being listed amongst all those other guys. And the New Orleans media is talking about Chris Olave like he is going to be the next superstar saint. I mean, the drum beats are are there, the talent is there, and they're they're convinced on this one. I mean, people are like all of the good beat reporters are convinced on this one. I think Alfredo, you're absolutely right. Billy's been on Olave forever. I have as well. We have tons of Olave stock. I love that answer, Dave. Give us your flag plant wide receiver.
3: Well, I was going to come on here and talk about Donovan Peoples-Jones, but I saw the player <laughs> profile again. Twitter page actually just chopped up a big long diatribe that I went on about Donovan Peoples-Jones on Mind of Mansion a couple of weeks ago. So check well, that out. You, on the uh,
2: you have a, I believe you have a Donovan Peoples-Jones T-shirt, Dave.
3: I do. I have a stack of t shirts for like (laughs) all of my favorite players. I get these like cheap $8 t shirts online that are just hideous. Like they are terrible, terrible. It's like
0: the t shirts -shirts you get when someone in the family is graduating and you all like wear that person's face to the graduation or to like a family barbecue. That's what Dave has, but for at least 50 different
2: NFL players. The Muzio family t shirt from Disneyland. You know, <laughs> yes. family yes. trip.
3: so if you want to see all of my thoughts on Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, I think that he's just a wildly talented player who's developed really into something special over the last few years. One thing that was cut from that clip, though, is actually if you look back at the high school rankings when these guys were coming out, he was the second ranked wide receiver in his class ahead of Garrett Wilson, ahead of Chris Olave, ahead of all of these guys. The only guy ranked ahead of him was Henry Ruggs, believe it or not. Um, So Great. Great player, great pedigree, and he's uh, developed great so far in the NFL. But the guy I'll talk about, again, not going super deep here, but Amandra St. Brown. Um, you know, I I was kind of fading Amandra St. Brown after his rookie season because I saw that late-season breakout, and I kind of chalked that up to, well, DeAndre Swift was hurt, and TJ Hawkinson was hurt, and he was just the only guy there. Faded Amandra St. Brown going into last year, and it took me until about week three to realize how stupid I was for doing that. And going into week three, only Cooper Cup and uh, Stephon Diggs we're him. So then this year I kind of looked at it with a blank slate and I said, all right, let me try to reevaluate Amon St. Brown now. And every time I'd pull historical comps, it was just like Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Odell Beckham Jr. And Amon St. Brown. I mean, just unbelievable stuff. But the one that really jumps out to me is that he's tied with Justin Jefferson and Michael Thomas for the most receptions through a player's first two years. Now he did that being a part-time player for half of his rookie season and being nicked up for the majority of last year. Um, uh, last year also comes with a lot of context. If you look at the season as a whole, he was injured for a handful of games. He left early in some, he was uh, limited in others. So he really only had a 12 game sample where he was completely healthy. And in those 12 games, he averaged 19.7 fantasy points per game. That would have been wide receiver five last year beside behind Cooper cup, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill and Devonte Adams. So the big knock on Amon minor Brown, and you hear this from a lot of film guys is that he struggles to win deep. You know, he's really good at the short and intermediate parts of the field. He can get those catches near the line of scrimmage, but he has struggled to win, win deep. And we saw that start to happen in small doses at the end of last season. And they've also said that's been the biggest priority for him so far in camp is winning on these deeper routes. So what I see is a similar trajectory to Cooper Cup. You know, for Cooper Cup's first few years in the league, he was amazing on the short to intermediate routes, but couldn't win deep. Then all of a sudden, in 2021, He was able to unlock that facet of his game and started giving us a consistent 25 points per week. So I could see Amon Ross St. Brown not only having a rock-solid floor as a 19, 20-point-per-game guy, but unlocking that 25-plus-point-per-game ceiling if he's able to start winning deep. I love it. I mean, you nailed it. Like Michael Thomas and
2: and Justin Jefferson and Amon Ross St. Brown all are tied for most receptions in their first two seasons in the league. He needs 129 receptions to to finish as number one overall in the first three seasons, and I, I think he's going to get it, Dave. Um, I've talked about this on, on podcasts. I love that you're on him. You guys both had great, great uh, answers here. Uh, Billy, talk to me. Give us one. Real quick, I just want to say – I absolutely love him on Ross St. Brown.
1: Loved him last year. Loved him again this year. I felt like when Dave was talking, you know, the Wolf of Wall Street, where we're just like doing the pound. (laughs) Everybody on the show. (laughs) I just felt like doing the whole time. but uh my wide receiver I'm going to kind of piggyback off Alfredo here when he mentioned the Steelers offense being better than people are thinking um absolutely believe in this you know they bolstered the offensive line they spent the round one pick on Broderick Jones they got a blocking tight in round three they added another offensive lineman later in the draft um we talked about it all offseason about the uh touchdowns or lack thereof for Deontay Johnson who's my receiver uh Outside of his rookie campaign, has never finished under 144 targets. We saw 144 in 2020, 169 in 2021, 147 in 2022. Um, we've seen you know 88, 86 receptions, 107 receptions. So it, to say that he is a target monster is a bit of an understatement. We've seen him at a 26.3 percent target rate, 27 percent target share, um, consistently out there in a route participation. You know, running 98.1 percent of all routes, uh, which was number six inside the. League league i absolutely love where you can get him in drafts this year i mean there was times earlier in the draft season where he was going outside wide receiver 35 and it was just amazing because they're just every time that you'd get up i just lock him in lock him in lock him in and we're steaming him up now we're seeing him go as like you know mid mid 20s uh, at times at the wide receiver position sometimes a little higher but i i honestly think that finishing inside the top 20 is more realistic than finishing outside the top 25 just based upon the amount of volume that he's going to see and how
2: I am anticipating this
1: offense to be much improved.
2: I love it. And, uh, you know, I'm Ross St. Brown has been kind of my answer on a lot, but I'm going to give a couple of different ones here. Yesterday on man versus machine, you know, I talked about the how the wide receiver one attached to Aaron Rodgers has absolutely smashed and has had some massive touchdown seasons. We saw Devontae Adams with a 13-touchdown season. We saw Devontae Adams with an 18-touchdown season. We saw Jordy Nelson do it three times where he went north of 13 touchdown catches. I think Garrett Wilson is going to catch 14 touchdown passes this year. He's going to absolutely smash. I drafted him in the mock draft we did with the four of us, um, and I've been drafting him in drafts all summer. I have a ton of him in Dynasty. I really believe in the talent, and I think that he's absolutely, much like Amon Ross St. Brown and Chris Olave. these guys are all going to get drafted earlier next year than they are this season. Uh, And I'll give a bonus one. Jahan Dotson right now going off the board is wide receiver 33 on underdog I think he finishes inside of the of the top 20 scores at the wide receiver position I think that he has this you know he had seven touchdown catches last year as a rookie he tied for first among all rookie wide receivers with that number and all summer long all all offseason you heard about the unsustainable touchdown rate this guy is way more than that I think he's an elite route runner and you also have Sam Howell who seems to have a connection with Jahan Dotson. We saw it in the preseason. And you have the turf toe for Terry McLaurin. It's like a perfect storm. Jahan Dotson had five top 25 scoring weeks last year in 12 games played, despite the train wreck at quarterback in Washington. I think Jahan Dotson is absolutely going to have a great season. He's a fantastic pick at ADP, even though the ADP has corrected uh, since the the Terry McLaurin injury. Billy, any thoughts on my guys or want to keep it moving?
1: No, I like John Dotson. Turf Toe Terry is probably going to see a little bit less target share, less routes run, less participation in the beginning of the season. Um, and we saw Jahan Dotson kind of take a big step forward last year as a rookie, and I expect that to continue in 2023.
2: Hashtag Turf Toe Terry. It's going to become a thing. Billy's going to make it a thing. We have one week left, guys. <laughs> let's start with Dave on this one. Dave, let's take it over to the running back position.
3: So I kind of hinted at this one a little bit when I was talking about the offenses that I think that could really surprise people. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is a guy that I cannot stop drafting. And I think we talked about him briefly earlier in the week. And you guys had mentioned that there are some reports about his knee swelling up. I mean, that's certainly worrisome. And I don't want to completely ignore that. But, uh, you know, he's just such a good running back. And we look at this 2022 draft class with Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Dobbins is kind of the forgotten guy. You know, he was a part-time player for half of his rookie season. And then he saw this breakout at the end of the year after week 11 where he had almost 90 yards per game. He had seven touchdowns in six games. And the craziest thing is he was doing that on just 13 touches per game. I mean, he was getting limited usage and was just wildly efficient with the touches that he was getting. Then going into the next season, ACL, LCL, meniscus hamstring just like shredded everything in his knee missed all of 2021 started 2022 on the pup and when he returned in week three last year he had a very minimal workload and then he re-injured himself just a few weeks later and we only got to see a small taste at the end of the year he came back for weeks 14 through 17 and in those games he actually averaged more touches per game than he did at the end of his rookie season so the coaching staff still had some faith in him And despite having this like noticeable limp in his gait, and he couldn't completely flex his knee, he was running with a limp. He still averaged 1.1 rushing yards over expectation per attempt, which was behind only Khalil Herbert, Nick Chubb, Tony Pollard, and Travis Etienne. So there's so much that I like about this guy. I loved him coming into the league. He's wildly talented. The coaching staff trusts him. He doesn't have a ton of competition in the backfield outside of an aged Gus Edwards, You know, Edwards is going to be an annoying thorn in the side, but I think Dobbins could really crack the top 10 running backs this year. You know, 99th percentile speed score for running backs, 96th percentile burst. He's got speed and elusiveness that is just impossible to ignore when you watch him play. And he's still just 24 years old. So we talk all the time about how youth is like the best indicator for a player to bounce back from an injury. Well, he's still very, very young. And then, of course, the last thing that I like about him, we talked about this Todd Munkin offense, how they like to get, running backs going in the passing game. So we didn't see it much at Ohio State. We haven't seen it in Greg Roman's offense. But I think that if he is able to start catching passes, then it unlocks that ceiling for J.K. Dobbins. Huge fan of the talent. Huge fan of the revamped offense. I'm just all in on J.K. Dobbins this year.
2: I love it. He's played 23 games as a pro, and this is the year. This is this is the year. He's, it's contract year for him. He's got the upgrade at offensive coordinator. It's a big make-or-break season for him. A lot of people believed in him coming out of college, and the backfield's all his right now. So it's a tilting year for J.K. Dobbins, uh, to say the least. Alfredo, where are you at on your flag plant running back?
0: By the way, I just want to mention, there's something in the water at Football Guys, because a lot of our analysts really, really like J.K. Dobbins. And it's like me and one other person that are just on an island, and I'm like, eh, I'm not not quite there yet.
3: Yeah, but we, we this morning, I'm... I shared my ranking in our group chat, and I said, am I crazy for having him at RB14? And then somebody goes, oh, he's my RB12. And somebody else goes, he's my RB8. And somebody else goes, he's my RB10. And I said, oh, I guess I'm the guy that's low on JK Dobbins on our staff.
0: Yeah, super weird. But I'm going to go with someone that's a bit more high profile here, and he's going a bit earlier. But it's because I think that the ADP that he's still going at, he cannot perform that easily, and it's Tony Pollard. And I think let's just make this as simple as possible when it comes to the running back position volume tends to equal success. And I think this is going to be one of those perfect opportunities where volume is going to meet explosive play and efficiency and all that fun stuff. And Pollard, when we look back at the top 15 running backs from last season, he had the least amount of touches there. And what propped him up was getting these explosive plays and these touchdowns. So, I think that some people might point to like that might start to divert back in the other direction, but the volume is most certainly going to go up and Pollard him being this efficient was not like a one-off thing. He's been efficient and explosive every year of his career. So to give him more volume, uh, he finished last season as the RB seven with 97 less touches than the running back six Nick tub. So like to me, it's just, if we're even talking about like just giving him, I don't know, 20% 20% of what Ezekiel Elliott left behind. We're, we're looking at a, a nice bump for Tony Pollard. There's a lot of uh, rushing work up for grabs, talking about 231 carries from Zeke Elliott. And I know it doesn't like directly transfer over to Tony Pollard. That's not how this stuff works, but there's going to be just a lot available for him. And I think there's some confusion as to whether the Cowboys are going to be a pass heavy team or a run heavy team. And there's been talk like one way or the other with the Mike McCarthy. Office. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Tony Pollard is so involved in all the different facets of the game that I'm perfectly fine if they're a pass-heavy team and Tony Pollard is catching passes out of the backfield, lining up at receiver. I mean, this is what he's been able to do, and he's got all the things that you really look for: explosive run rate, target rate, uh, low co- little competition. No pun intended there, which is fun, and then just a team that can win games. So, like, there's just. Everything is, all the stars are aligning. Everything just looks good for Tony Pollard. And I think that we're finally going to see a guy whose efficiency and explosion meets with the volume that he needs to be a top running back.
2: We love Tony Pollard. And I think that, you know, you, you alluded to Deuce Vaughn. It's, it's Rico Dowdle and Deuce Vaughn for his backfield competition for touches. We need them to have rational coaching and target Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard needs to get his targets out of the backfield, needs to set career highs in them. And if, if they use him like that, Sky's the limit. He can finish his RB one overall. Billy, your thoughts on Dobbins and Pollard briefly, and then give us your guy.
1: I have some concerns with Dobbins with the knee. Uh, it just didn't look right last year. They had him, you know, on the pup to begin the season. He's off now, but something just tells me it's not a hundred percent, and it scares me a bit. Um, we saw Keaton Mitchell was very explosive in the preseason. They might start mixing in more of the backs. Uh, Justice Hill might get some more touches this year as well. So. I am a little bit lower on consensus than Dobbins, but I do believe that he's in a good situation and he has the talent to succeed. I just am not sold on him being hundred percent healthy. Um, Pollard. I absolutely love smash. He always rotates between like RB four and RB six. Every time I do an update, Uh, just a very tight, group inside the projections that are separated by like you know like one fantasy point between two or three running backs. And so um, I think he's fine within that area and absolutely love his upside. I do think we see some regression with the increased opportunity, but I think overall, it's gonna, you know, it's going to counteract each other with the amount of targets and, and, and rushing attempts he's going to see. My running back that I'm flag planting this year, I never thought I'd actually say this because I've never been a big fan of this guy, but love the situation he's in for 2023. And that's David Montgomery. I think it's a closer gap than people want to come out and say with him and Jameer Gibbs. Uh, it's one of the best offensive lines in football. They paid him a lot of money. Um, he is also a very capable pass catcher. We've seen it throughout his career inside of Chicago. Um, you know, he had 25 receptions his rookie campaign, 54 receptions in 2020, 42 in 2021, 34 last year. Uh, always kind of floats in that seven touchdown range and seen 200 plus attempts in every single uh, career career year and i don't think that's going to stop here in 2023 now when he's behind one of the best offensive lines in football when they lack weapons in the passing game for the first six weeks uh, i think that we can expect to see him utilized not only on the ground people are expecting him to be the goal line back like jamal williams last year but i think he's more than that i think he's also going to be heavily involved in the passing game and you know has every
2: opportunity to finish inside the
1: top 20th position
2: he actually had his highest yards per reception last year Billy. So I think that he's uh, metrics wise, he can, he can get it done. Um, and you've kind of sold me a little bit of Montgomery. I'm a big Jameer Gibbs guy, but I do think both of them are going to going to score a lot of fantasy points. I believe in that offense and that scheme. So for me, I love the Pollard answer that Alfredo gave that could have easily been mine. Um, I'm going to go with one at the very top for me. And that's Saquon Barkley. I think it's going to be, I alluded to Brian Dable year two Saquon Barkley, I think is going to get back to his usual, you know, let's say 65 plus uh, receptions. Last year, he was incredibly efficient on the ground. Now they've added more weapons. It's year two for Brian Dable. Year a Daniel Jones year two in that system. Uh, We've added Darren Waller. I think the offense is going to be a little bit more diverse. I think Saquon Barkley is a threat to score more touchdowns than any running back in football. And I love when I can get him in the second round right now. And to go a little bit down the list, we've seen his ADP rise up. And he's a polarizing player for some fantasy managers. But for me, it's James Cook. I think James Cook is incredibly uh, explosive. I think he is a very talented pass catcher. We saw that at Georgia. I think the Buffalo Bills have been screaming for a player like this uh, for years. We saw Devin Singletary get 50-plus targets for three straight years. I think James Cook's going to have more targets than that. And he's the kind of guy with that home run hitting ability. I think he's going to finish inside of the top 18 or so with the running back spot. With some spike weeks. Uh, and I'm I'm very in on him being like the breakout guy. I think we, you know, we were kind of a year early. They didn't use him as much as we wanted to see last year, but I'm I'm in on him this year. Billy, anything to add? Alfredo or Dave,
3: any any James Cook uh thoughts? No, I, I love James Cook and he was a guy that I was kind of fading earlier in the offseason. But then if you watch the preseason usage, when they played against the Bears uh last Saturday, James Cook didn't come off the field with the ones. Until they got down to the two-yard line and they swapped in Damian Harris. So that's kind of to be expected. The good news is James Cook led the league in breakaway run rate last year. And I don't expect that to change. So he doesn't need the goal line touches to still score some touchdowns. He can do it from 15, 20, 80 yards out. So I like James Cook. The one guy I'll add real quickly because I saw some people in the comments saying they wanted us to go a little bit deeper. And I didn't go too deep with mine with Travis Kelsey, Monroe St. Brown, and J.K. Dobbins. So let me throw Zach Charbonnet out there. He's my most rostered guy right now um, in underdog drafts. I've got him on almost 30% of my drafts. Um, you know, I, I just see him. With an ability to take a stranglehold on all the high-value touches, you know he had three times the target share in college that Kenneth Walker did. He profiles to be the goal line back because he's got the height and the explosiveness. So Zach Charbonnet is a guy that not only has some standalone value with the high-value touches, but also has elite contingent upside if Kenneth Walker gets goes down with an injury. So just trying to go a little bit deeper for the uh, the comment section here.
2: No, we've been drafting a lot of Charbonnet. Um you've you been know, drafting
3: Charbonnet. I've been drafting Charbonnet. <laughs> really tell me why we shouldn't be, because I need someone to talk me off a ledge, man. I cannot stop myself from drafting this guy. I just didn't like his tape. and um, uh, he falls into a situation
1: where he's, you know, the de facto number two. And so he should get enough usage. He's inside my top 40 at the position. I'm just not in love with him. Um he runs up, right. I don't like that with running backs. Um, and so I think that's, I mean, he's won a couple big hits away from, from, you know, getting clocked and maybe missing a couple of games. And so, uh, I don't like to, you know, project that in the projections, but I do think that it'll show up on tape and he'll probably get, you know, less opportunity, especially at the goal line and, and 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 when it matters. And I think that we see this offense transition more into, you know, a three wide receiver team. I do think they still run a lot of 12 personnel. They've ran the most in the league the past few years, but, um, you know, drafting JSN, they'll probably start transitioning to more three wide receiver sets, and they'll probably lean into more of a pass heavy, you know, uh, attempts than in the past, and which would, you know, limit the, the upside on the ground. And so that would ultimately cap his upside as a rusher.
2: Well, I got your back, Dave, because I think, you know, in terms of (laughs) contingent upside, you know, if if Ken Walker were to miss time, Zach Charbonnet would be the potential league winner. Billy, where would you rank Zach Charbonnet on a weekly basis if Ken Walker was out of the picture?
1: Depends on the matchups. There's so many variables here. Would it be in the top top 12? Just say top 10. No,
3: you can't do top 10.
1: There's no way. Why not? He would have
3: rookie on a team that likes to run the ball with a good offense. Because off line.
1: Pete Carroll always throws out some random scrub to do pass, pass catching, you know, and they're going to mix in. They're going to, the, what they'll do is they'll utilize him on one, two downs. and Then they'll utilize three wide receiver sets. They might dump it off to him, but he's not going to see, he's not going to see like eight, nine targets a game. If Walker goes down, he'll see more rushing attempts, but Ultimately, they're going to lean into the passing game if if Walker gets hurt. They're not going to just say, "Oh, Walker's hurt. Let's give him, you know, let's go ahead and give Charbonnet twenty two carries today on the ground, and let's target him eight times." That's not going to happen. That's what that's what it will take for him to hit in top ten.
2: You could say that the two the highest upside handcuffs right now in football are Zach Charbonnet and Tank Bigsby. Those two guys, I think, would both smash if the if the running back in front of them went down. Dave, I got your back. Good, best the pick. Dave I forgot Jalen Warren. Well, I love Jalen Warren. Warren. Jalen Warren, I think, would I listen, I'm, I'm i got more Jalen Warren. I got more Jalen Warren bags than than anybody, but I think he's capped because I don't think he could get that. Like Zach Charbonnet could, could handle 20 plus carries a game if Ken Walker would go down. So I got your back, Dave. I like the answer. Um, don't listen Thank to you. this Muzio guy. Don't listen to this guy. <laughs> now we got this is the one everyone's gonna remember, guys. The quarterback position. Sometimes if you just get quarterback right and you hit on a guy that's not like a top three. At ADP quarterback you can win your league 2019 Lamar Jackson 2018 Patrick Mahomes 2022 Jalen Hurts you could have an average draft and if you hit on one of those guys at cost you're looking great last year even guys Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen drafters they got carried into a lot of playoffs with some okay rosters so let's nail this one Alfredo we're going to start with you who is your quarterback flag plant So you mentioned guys that can beat their ADP
0: and this one just almost feels like it should be automatic as long as he doesn't destroy the rib cartilage on his body again. And it's Justin Herbert. Right now, who uh, and in so many places is going as quarterback six, seven uh, in, in drafts. And some sometimes you find people that maybe like Trevor Lawrence a little bit better and he falls to eight. But, you know, I mentioned this rib injury last year. Justin Herbert was a little uncharacteristic. He had averaged four rushing touchdowns per season in his career uh, and last year zero rushing touchdowns and everything went down i'm talking about like everything from passing yards per game passing touchdowns rush attempts rush yards or rushing touchdowns like every like almost nearly every single metric for Justin Herbert went down because of a his injury b losing offensive line and then c also losing wide receivers that weren't able to play the full season it also did not help that that Joe Lombardi offense just simply does not push the ball downfield and uh, i've got a, a fun tweet here from uh, Warren Sharp who mentioned something about Justin Herbert saying uh, the depth of target on early downs for Justin Herbert in 2020 and 2023 ranked 47th out of 47 qualifying quarterbacks. And the only quarterback is have a lower depth of target in the last 17 years. Was David Carr with the Texans in 2006. So, just to like really put that out there and give context as to how bad and how weird this offense was and how weird the season was for Justin Herbert as a whole. To me, 2022 was such an outlier, bad season. And it still wasn't that bad for Justin Herbert, who like threw for a ton of yards and was still really good and was like a few rushing touchdowns away from still being the quarterback six with messed up ribs and just a horrible situation around him. So yeah, give me the Kellen Moore offense. Give me a healthy Justin Herbert. Add in Quentin Johnston. Stir it up a little bit. And I love the idea of drafting Justin Herbert as the quarterback six in the draft and potentially seeing him be a guy who we've seen do it before. We're not projecting too much. He's been the quarterback two in fantasy before. So this is a guy that could absolutely finish as QB1, QB2, QB3
3: and pay off on his ADP. We love it. Dave, who you got? So Alfredo and I kind of have a running joke on our show that when you're in your fantasy drafts and you get into round five and round six, you just want to draft the Justins. You know, he's going for Justin Herbert and I am going for Justin Fields. I think that both of these guys have a very similar range of outcomes to the high-end guys, you know, the Jalen Hurtses and the Josh Allens and the Patrick Mahomes, but you can get them for rounds later. So you can get your Keenan Allens and your Calvin Ridleys and then still get an elite quarterback a couple of rounds after that. And What we've seen with Justin Fields this offseason is that the Bears have done everything they can to put him in a pass-first offense. And I think people who just watch NFL have this misconception that Justin Fields is a run-first quarterback. This guy's not Tim Tebow, all right? He was throwing to some of the worst wide receivers in the NFL behind a pretty bad offensive line. That's why we saw him running for his life last year, almost 50% of his rush attempts last year came on scrambles because there wasn't a wide receiver that could separate. So the Bears have gone out and they invested in, obviously, DJ Moore trading back from the 101 pick to bring in that wide receiver one that really is going to help elevate the offense. And Ryan Poles, the uh, general manager, was very clear about his intentions going into last year. He said, we want to follow the same blueprint that we've seen Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen and these other guys take a step forward, and we need to get that wide receiver one for Justin Fields. So they did that. They also brought in Darnell Wright to really shore up the offensive line. They brought in Roshan, Roshan Johnson, who's going to be, a hammer in the backfield when it comes to pass blocking. Darnell Mooney is back and healthy. Chase Claypool is another year acclimated to the offense. they brought in Robert Tunyon. So Cole Komet can kind of slot in more as the pass blocking and run blocking tight end that he is. So, you know, obviously if everything works out we see him take that huge step forward like we've seen from like I mentioned Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen but if it doesn't work out and if Justin Fields has just been destroyed through his first two years of the NFL and cannot develop into a passer he still has an elite rushing skill set that he can fall back on and we saw that floor last year you know the first few games of the season I'm kind of thrown away in my analysis it was a brand new offense they were running like 20-25 plays per game but from week five onward only Patrick Mahomes and Jalen hurts outscored justin fields in fantasy last year so that's the floor we're looking at and then if he can unlock his abilities as a passer we're looking at a sky high ceiling so justin fields is a guy that i cannot stop drafting
2: i love both your answers um those are both really really good ones and i agree that's a great range in the draft to uh to a target quarterback billy give us your quarterback flag plant well it
1: would have been herbert Alfredo took another one of my players so I'm going sorry I'm going to go deeper here because we had the chat talking about not going deep enough so I'm going to go all the way down to quarterback 20 in drafts and and keep it you know red and gold in the background getting ready to paint his face right next to Joe Montana already and that is Brock Purdy uh you look at what he was able to do last year he never once finished below quarterback 18 uh in fantasy points per game and his start of course being drafted outside the top 20 at the position. Um, And when you, you know, are in my position, you get to build and create these cherry pick stats that really support your thesis um, about why you love a player. And the numbers really back it up. If you reduce these numbers to 350 total snaps inside the NFL where Purdy finished number eight in completion (laughs) percentage with 69.8% completion rate. Um, He was number one in the league in touchdown rate at 7.7%. Six percent. He had a nearly one and a half, he was nearly a full and a half percent more than Patrick Mahomes. He was above Josh Allen, above Joe Burrow, above Dak Prescott. Yes, we expect some regression, but even if he regresses, he's still with the elite in this category. Very impressive under pressure in the red zone as well, where he finished number two in pressured completion percentage, only behind my other flag plant, Justin Herbert, at 57.1%. And then when we look at just true passer rating, which is one of the most, you know, best indications of success in the league, he ranked number seven in true passer rating with a 94.81%. So uh, you got to love the weapons that they have and we saw the chemistry that he showed with these weapons. Uh, he reminds me of a young Tom Brady, very humble out here, and, and just been uh, nothing but praise for his teammates, takes on all of the criticism when, when they failed and did not blame anybody. So for me, absolutely love Brock Purdy, who's a young quarterback, and think that this offense is just the beginning for him, and his ceiling um, is unknown at this point. But being able to draft
2: him where he never even finished in points per game is a win instead of fantasy drafts. I love it. Billy going deep on that one. And I would have gone with Herbert or Fields. I think they're great. I also think Trevor Lawrence in that that range. I think mm-hmm. those, those three guys are really nice targets to build your team with. But I'll go a little bit deeper. Um, I like Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones yes. is going as quarterback 13. And this is, again, year two of the Brian Dable offense. Uh, this is a guy that ran for 700 yards last year. And I think that we could see that rushing total increase this year as the offense becomes more efficient, gets more first downs. And I think Daniel Jones has the best weapon he's had in his career and Darren Waller, he's got a healthy Saquon Barkley. And then they have a lot of wide receivers that can help him be very efficient. They look like they're going to get Wandell Robinson back. We have Jalen Hyatt um, who helps him a lot stylistically with his speed. They added versatile, a versatile player in Paris Campbell And Darius Slayton had some success with with Daniel Jones last year. So I also expect the offensive line is going to take a step forward. He was sacked a lot last year. I think they're going to tighten up on that. Um, I think that he's being drafted right now around quarterback 13. But it's funny, when you do these drafts, sometimes that range of after Deshaun Watson is so low that you can get Daniel Jones and you can pair him with like an Anthony Richardson or with a Dak Prescott or with a Jared Goff or any of these other guys, and you can double-tap quarterback and walk away with two guys that you know both have a chance to offer you some weekly production. And to go very, very low, I love drafting Sam Howell in best ball. I think that Washington offense is going to score some points. Sam Howell was free for a lot of the summer. Much like Billy's guy Brock Purdy, you're starting to see both their ADPs creep up. But Sam Howell, there's a lot of positive vibes coming out of Washington. I love Jahan Dotson. I think when they get back, hashtag Turf Toe Terry, He's going to have two weapons there. We like Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson on the backfield. And Eric Bieniemy. much like you guys talked about with Kellen Moore, this could be the year that pushes Eric, <clears throat> Eric Bieniemy to getting a head coaching job. I think if this Washington offense takes a big step forward, uh, he could either replace Ron Rivera or he could go get another job because I think that this offense is going to score some points and be very, very aggressive. Guys, speaking of aggressive, we've gone an hour and 10 minutes here. This was, and this was a lot of fun. Um, we have a lot of respect for what you guys are doing over there. Um, Why don't you let everybody know again where they can find your show, where they can watch it, um, and where you can find the podcast. Either one of you guys.
3: Alfredo, go all, ahead.
0: All right, fine. I'll go. Yeah, you can check out our podcast uh, anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, anything like that. It's the Football Guys Fantasy Football Podcast. And uh, you'll be able to find us on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash football guys, uh, where we've got, like Dave said earlier in the show, we're going to be going Monday through Thursday. We're going to be dropping a Friday audio episode. We're going to be doing Sunday, live, uh, Sunday morning live start sit. So yeah, we're basically, we are married to our audience for the rest of fall and winter
2: until January comes.
1: Till death do you part. Yeah, and, basically.
2: And highly, <laughs> highly recommend uh, their show. It's very, very good. Then they're putting it out consistently. Uh, we yeah, love these co-hosted, okay. you know, we love these co-hosted so shows, guys. We're like, you know, we're doing the same thing over here. It's awesome. And Billy, let everybody know uh, what you got coming out. I uh, just did a six hour update on projections yesterday. Uh, updated all the the cuts and,
1: and the roster moves. So that was a, a behemoth task, but it's completed. Um, and of course a lot of news today. So updating more as well, but we got the cheat sheets updated. I'll get the cheat sheets updated again uh, tomorrow, probably go every other day here. And then the weekend I'll try to get it done. So tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll get them done daily for the weekend for your drafts for while you're at home. So you can dominate all of your friends in your home leagues. Uh, that's that's about it i'm going to be doing another draft friday saturday sunday on the dominator um and then come back around for the last one on monday so we have a lot of drafting to do in the next few days as well
2: follow dave kluge follow alfredo brown follow of course billy muzio uh check out my press coverage from earlier today with justin boone uh we flag planted some guys there Uh, i have derek brown coming on press coverage tomorrow we're going to do some more of these flag plant shows and if you want to watch billy and i draft we did a draft last night right here on on First Class Fantasy. Uh, that was a lot of fun, Billy. We got a lot of positive, positive uh, reactions to us giving out some places to eat in Vegas. Uh, shout out to Fantasy Mojo. We got a little weird. We've been drafting every <laughs> night, guys. we got to change the subject matter. But everybody, crush your drafts. You put a lot of work in this summer. Now's the time to execute. Win some money. Win some trophies. Let's get it this season. And everybody, have a great rest of your week.